0: Hello! A very quick editing Beth moment before we kick off with our first episode of the Gamble Era. We just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone who has listened to or reached out to us throughout our last two episodes of Kripke Era and all of the bonuses. We are so glad that you enjoyed the episodes. We've been waiting literally months to release them. I think that we recorded them back in June, and it's so lovely to see all of your comments. Uh, Specifically, if anyone sent us messages through Spotify, there is still really no good way to respond there. So please know that we do see them and it's always a delight to hear your thoughts, even if we can't actually respond. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into season six. Hi,
1: I'm Beth. And I'm Jamie. Welcome to Driver Picks, the podcast where I pick the podcast.
0: And I shot my kickle. And today it's a very exciting episode. We are watching season six, episode one, the first episode of Gamble Era, Exile on Main Street. Jamie, what did you think?
1: Okay, so I want to start by saying that I didn't really like this episode a lot. That's fine. But I do think it is not a bad way to start the next season after where they left off last season. Like, I can see why it sort of had to be this way. Like, Mm -hmm. do I think it's great? No. Could it have been way worse? Absolutely. No doubt in my brain, this could have been so much worse.
0: I have been a fairly staunch defender of season six on this podcast thus far. And I'm interested to see if my opinions hold up on rewatch and discussion with you. But I have said it before and I'll say it again. I think that Sarah Gamble was stuck between a rock and a hard place. She Mm. had to find a way to open the season into a new plot. And she was literally given the toughest closer to follow. Obviously, Jamie hasn't seen it yet. But if you think about, like, Carver era, Carver era came out of Gamble, Mm -hmm. which wasn't a closed storyline. Then Darb came out of Carver, which, again, was not a closed storyline. They were much more open-ended than Kripke era was. Essentially, Kripke tied everything up in a nice, neat bow, and then Gamble had to go in with the scissors and pull it all to pieces. And so, like, yeah, it's good. I would
1: have preferred she come in with a steel chair. (laughs)
0: But, you know, like, yes, it's going to be a bit messy because she has to untie some shit. She has to find a way to continue those story threads that he neatly packed away in a box. So, yeah, I agree. I don't think that it is the strongest start to a season, or an era for that matter, but I do think... I think it could have been worse. It could have been... I still think it's stronger than The Magnificent Seven, which started season three. Oh,
1: yeah, 100%. And, like, here's the thing. The Magnificent Seven was pre-Writer's Strike.
0: Hmm. So they can't even blame that for it. What I will note while we're still at the top of the episode and we're kind of talking about it anyway, this episode was written by Sarah Gamble and it was directed mm-hmm. by Phil Scrutia. Well-known combo. Yeah, like they've yeah. been with us for a long time now, since season one, I'm pretty sure. So they're very familiar in the territory. It's
1: not like this is the first episode they've ever done. Like no. they're, they're not bringing in new people at this stage. Like this is the new showrunner starting to execute their vision.
0: Do you have somewhere you want to start with this episode? Other than our disclaimer that... It wasn't great, but it could have been worse.
1: This may be really weird. But basically, I don't know what it... Like, we've started a new era. Like, it it feels like everything should be different, but, like, we're still just here on our bullshit.
0: I feel like we should have rebranded.
1: Yeah, we should have. Like...
0: like, (laughs) Who are we, Taylor Swift?
1: (laughs) Okay, I want to start with something that I think is interesting, which... Based on the Sarah Gamble long con. Oh, okay. Interesting content is a recurring thing. Yeah. <laughs> so what's interesting to me is this episode, they decide to parallel moments of Sam and Dean. Sam and his brother, quote unquote, mm-hmm. Dean. Yes. And Ben and Dean.
0: Uh-huh. Yes, I had this same note. Yes. My actual note is teaching Ben, brackets, his son, combined with teaching Sam, brackets, his son, and then the crying emoji. At this point... If you don't see the parentification of Dean, I don't know what to fucking tell you, man. Like, I, it's literally right there for you.
1: They were really like, no, this man has two children. One of them is Sam, the other is Ben.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Which is a wild sentence. And I just want to, now that we're going into, obviously, a plot line where we're probably going to see, like, Ben and Lisa and that sort of stuff, I just want to say it because, like, I've been saying it, like, not infrequently for a little bit now, but, like, I do not think that Ben is biologically Dean's. And, like, I just want to state this going into this. Maybe we'll get some evidence that contradicts this.
0: I'll tell you right now, we don't. We know as much now <laughs> about Ben's, like, parental lineage as we're ever going to get.
1: And I also want to say this with the caveat that blood means fucking jack shit. Like, being blood-related to somebody does not mean that you are or are not, like, family, you know, quote-unquote. Yeah. Like, and I think sometimes supernatural is really weird about that. Sometimes they're like, no, they're blood to their definitely family and, like, no one else can come even close. And other times they're like, oh, no, it's found family. It's about who you choose to spend your time with and who you choose to, you know, love despite everything. So it's just a weird combo of both.
0: Yeah, actually, I had a note about this and I wanted to talk about it because one of the things Sam and Dean, like, argue about, and, like, we're going to have to – so much happens in this episode number one we've had a year time skip mm-hmm. which i don't know if you have any thoughts or opinions on on that if you view it favorably or not
1: uh, it's just an interesting choice like i think they probably have an idea of where they want to go with the story and to do that they need that space between dean and sam and i'm thinking that's going to tie into the fact that like the campbells are back like mm-hmm. samuel campbell is also back like i i feel like we they wanted that space between Dean and Sam, because then it means that someone like Samuel Campbell can effectively manipulate that, essentially, Mm -hmm. is what, like, is the vibes I'm getting. Is like, at this point, we don't really know what he's doing, but it definitely seems like maybe he's doing something the brothers wouldn't approve of. Mm. So it's that sort of level of, like, put a little bit of a wedge there so it's less like, oh, my brother who I love is back now, like, no one else can get between us again, like, you know, normally what happens is they have a big argument or whatever and then they both get over it and it's all fine and dandy and it's they manage to overcome it. So they're just trying to add that little bit extra so that it makes sense that it takes Dean some extra time to forgive Sam for...
0: Yeah. The thing is, I'm interested to know, like obviously there's been a year time skip, like that's what we were just talking about, but Mm -hmm. I think the thing that makes it more interesting is the fact that Sam has also been back For that, like, entire year. It wasn't like there was a year and then Sam came back and that's why they're talking again now. It's like, no, no, Sam has been back the entire time. And we know that because of the last scene from the Mm -hmm. season five finale. But now we know that there's been a year time jump, which means it's not like, oh, he came back and, like, he didn't interrupt on that first night but he went back the next day or something. No, no, no. He left and he didn't come back for a year. And he only came back because Dean was, like, in imminent danger. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts, feelings?
1: I feel like they're going somewhere with this. And, like, I do like the fact that, like, Sam's been trying to be quite a selfish character for the first couple of seasons. Like, he doesn't necessarily always think through his actions or how they're going to impact other people. He's very much like a, this seems like a solution, I'm going to go all in now sort of person. Whereas this is, like, the first time I think we've ever really seen him reflect on, like, well, Dean got out. So I didn't want to intervene. I didn't want to possibly drag him back into a life where
0: he would be miserable. What I was going to mention is the moment when Dean says, I wanted my brother alive and Sam's like, You wanted a family and he goes on to explain, like, I know you, like this is something that you've wanted for a long time, maybe always, you know. And Dean's just kind of looking at him and I made a note which was like, the thing is though, a family doesn't have to be the picket white fence. It's about the family you have and the family you find, the family you create. It's not necessarily about the family you're born to. (laughs) And like, you're right when you say that Supernatural has a very complicated relationship with this notion because it does, in my opinion, have a very strong emphasis on found family, particularly in the latter half of the series. But also, they well, have. Well, I mean, this... Dean Lisa
1: is simply found family. <laughs> like, it's this woman who's incredible, her son, and this random dude that she's known for cumulatively
0: about three days. Well, and a year now, and a year now. But you know, like they also have this like strange idea of that blood is the be all and end all. It's this like very, when Adam was
1: introduced, they were like, oh, but he's John's kid, so therefore he's our brother and it doesn't matter that we've never
0: met this 19-year-old before in our life. But that's the thing, isn't it? Because Sam was like, he's our brother and Dean was like, we don't know this kid from afar. So, yeah. And like, I think that that comes down to just fundamentally the way that they see the world differently, mm-hmm. the way they see family differently. So, it's interesting to have Sam be like, well, you wanted a family and I set you up with a family and Dean's like, but it's not the family that I I wanted. And actually, it's really interesting, like, he says once they go to Bobby's, first of all, they keep referring to Lisa as that woman. And I'm like, she has a fucking name, guys. And she can probably hear you. that you're in the same fucking house.
1: To be fair, though, Lisa is the only human woman that we know is still confirmed alive after more than, like, two episodes.
0: Is she the only female character to last through creepy era? Like, from one era to the next? Human. I, okay, would, human. I would specify yes, okay. human. Because, like,
1: I, with Meg. I would say, like, Meg is still alive and out there somewhere. I feel like there are female characters who are like Jenny the vampire, for example. Missouri,
2: Missouri is, Missouri theoretically, is alive. theoretically
1: alive somewhere, but like I think Lisa's the only one that we've seen that's definitely still alive from like one season to the next. Every other woman who could possibly be a reoccurring character holdover, I'm thinking like Joe, I'm thinking Ellen, I'm thinking Bella, Ava. Ava, describe your female character in one word. <laughs> Dead. Dead, and we do get. Oh my God, Sarah Gamble was really like. Well, Kripke started with a woman burning on the ceiling.
0: Oh my God, I <laughs> except knows. for it doesn't
1: work because she's not blonde. So
0: here's the thing: you actually mentioned to me before we started recording that you were confused as to why Azazel was the demon that Dean's hallucinating instead of Alastair, right? Yeah. And like, I understand why you think that because Dean and Alastair obviously had a much more like personal, ongoing,
2: long-term
0: yeah. like situation happening there. I think that the reason that it's a Zazel is because what they say about the djinn, and this is interesting, this is new law for the djinn too. So previously we've basically seen the djinn trap you in like this sort of utopia, and like that's how they stop you from struggling. Utopia dream world. Yeah, Yeah. and that's how they stop you from struggling, and you sort of allow them to drain your life force away. In this instance, the djinn are using their powers kind of in the inverse, so they're creating these nightmare scenarios, and you just basically just continuously freak out Mm -hmm. until you die. I can't remember if it was Sam or Samuel, one of the fucking two of them, says that basically they show you your like biggest fears, like yeah. your nightmare, right? And so what Dean is hallucinating is the yellow-eyed demon taking away his family again. Like, he is seeing his son being Ben slash Sam, drinking the blood from Azazel. He is seeing the like matriarch of the family burning alive on the ceiling. And he himself is paralyzed and unable to do anything no
1: he's not okay his worst nightmare is not Azazel okay bear with me his worst nightmare is becoming John
0: yeah yeah actually and I'm so glad you said that because that's actually going to be relevant that's like in in a couple episodes time we're going to come
1: back to that I was confused previously but like if you frame it less of like oh he's
0: most scared about Azazel yeah it's not about who Azazel is it's about what Azazel represents
1: yes and if Azazel was to give Ben demon blood and then
0: kill Lisa. Lisa.
1: That would put Dean in the same position that John was in. And he would be terrified of becoming like his father.
0: Yeah, pretty much. And so when you said like, oh, it would have made more sense with Alistair, I was like, I want I 100% see what you're saying. But actually I think about what Azazel represents versus Alistair. But anyway, my point was that he's saying to Sam and Bobby, That woman and that kid, I went to them because you asked me to. And Bobby's like, good. And Dean's like, good for who? I showed up on their doorstep, half out of my head with grief. God knows why they even let me in. I drank too much. I had nightmares. And then, you know, Bobby says, you were out, Dean. And he says, do I look out to you? Which I understand the point of the line. I understand the context. But it's like- To quote this episode, for a hunter, he has very feminine features. I literally less than 20 minutes in and they're like, how many times can we microaggress this man? And I think it's really interesting, though, to have Dean voice those things because they are the same issues that we were raising as viewers at the end of season five. Like, we were saying it is selfish of him to go to Lisa. He's putting that on her for no good fucking reason. And he points out here his only reason was because Sam told him to. Mm-hmm. And that comes back to season three, episode 10, "Dream a Little Dream of Me, mm-hmm. when Sam watches Dean's, like, little dream scenario of Lisa on yeah. the picnic blanket and it's like I said to you in that episode, that is so formative for Sam in what he thinks of Dean's desires that, yeah, he is just going to say, we'll go see Lisa because that's what you want. But it's not about Lisa. It's about what she represents. It's a, it's a whole thing, Jamie. I'm, I'm sure it's a whole thing. You seem to be uh,
1: invested I am in the invested. whole thing. I mean, I guess that's kind of the point of podcast. I don't know. For me, it's just sort of like I, like, I cannot stress to you enough how little Lisa knew Dean going into this. It is wild to me that she even let him in. And like Dean agrees. Yeah, and I'm just
0: Dean, Dean agrees with you.
1: And Dean is objectively correct. Feels like something else is at play here. Okay, in what way? For me, it's kind of like, it feels like, oh, well, no, someone's already trying to like, manipulate him like a Ken doll. You know what I mean? Oh, okay.
0: Do you know what's funny that you say that in that particular way? Because there's a line from Sid in this episode where he tells Dean that he's practically respectable. And I was like, oh my God, just like well-respected man in Zachariah's like office culture world, you know?
1: For me, at least, it's like there is something else at play here. There's something else pushing him into, like, and I don't think it's just Sam. Okay. Because like I I certainly think that Sam is the reason why Dean's there Mm -hmm. but it doesn't explain to me why Lisa let him in the fucking door.
0: I think what's the most interesting to me about this whole situation with Dean and Lisa is that she seems genuinely happy or at least content and Dean is fucking miserable. Literally the opening shot of them lying in bed and he just looks sad and then like the song that's overlaying that whole montage of him like getting up and getting ready and making breakfast and it like cuts between like using the salt for like demons versus using the salt for eggs and like that whole sort of rundown. The song that's playing is literally Beautiful Loser and the lyrics are like, realize you just can't have it all. And it's like, kind of like, I suppose, similar to the struggle that Mary would have faced when she first decided that she was going to get out of hunting is like trading it all in for this suburban life. And it's just, you can't do everything. You just can't hunt and have the happy, secure household. It just doesn't, it just mm. doesn't function. This is the closest we've seen to it working, but it, it ultimately just doesn't work. And actually, I realize I can't remember what episode it was, but like a few episodes ago, like I want to say somewhere between five to ten episodes ago, you mentioned something about either home security or paranoia or like the concept of having stuff like in suburban homes that would like protect against demonic stuff or whatever and i mentioned like oh we can talk about that when we get to season six and this is what i was talking about when dean is like going through the house and he's checking all the blinds and there's the devil's trap under the rug and like whatever else adds to the ocd reading of dean
1: as well that he can possibly checks it every single
0: night and also he contextualizes in this episode he specifically says to lisa you know i have like ocd about this how about you just let me do a final sweep and also i think that like at this point in the series if not before you can definitely read into the text that he probably has a diagnosable pstd as well yeah. because he's talking about the ongoing nightmares and how he was you know struggling to function and
1: though he is getting better mm. he is he's is starting to recover his gun is no longer under the pillow it's now under the bed
0: <laughs> i know it's moved a whole meter
1: <laughs> that is significant character development
0: Mm, mm-hmm. he's added the holy water though that's new mm-hmm. the holy water wasn't under the pillow before no. it would have been weird if it was but that actually brings me to my psa a water guess. Bed made
2: of holy water that's fucking genius holy water bed
0: i love that <laughs> there's a joke in here somewhere about sam and ruby and i just can't <laughs> quite find it <laughs> but i know it's there you know <laughs> which brings me to my psa guess of yep. the day okay lovely so beth what do you think my psa is this week bearing in mind this might be too similar to mm-hmm. stuff we've had previously but i think it's warranted in this case which is safe gun storage mm-hmm. like there is literally a child in this house i like i don't think that i have to elaborate and there's no way that gun is loaded either mm-hmm. like i don't think that i have to elaborate on that anymore
1: no that's all good it's not my psa it is close though mm. my psa this week is a gun is not necessary for pest control
0: it is like, if you're taking out possums, apparently.
1: Possums can kill because they've got rabies, apparently.
0: Oh my god.
1: <laughs> I love how that's, like, that's his... Th- he's like, no, you've got to have a gun for pest control. Like
0: To be fair, I don't know what the fuck else he could have said in that situation. No, he I'm, was rolling with whatever the fuck he had. Yeah. Also, I'm sad that, like, we lose Sid Because mm-hmm. it was, like, nice for Dean to have, like, a suburban dad friend.
1: What I will say, though... I thought there was going to be something up with Sid all episode. I was, like, waiting for, like, the reveal that actually Sid
0: was, like, the gin, And then it just wasn't. And I was like, oh, I wanted to mention when Dean is speaking to Sid in the bar at the very sort of beginning of the episode Mm -hmm. when he, like, first talks about pest control, which actually, hilariously, we have Cass explain to someone at a later stage in the series that he works in pest control. Like, that's the same, like, cover that he uses. Actually, I think someone gives it to him that he uses it. In the background, while Dean is fully lying to Sid about his life or, like, evading the truth, Mm -hmm. there is an El Sol sign in the background. Beer meta! Yeah, beer meta. And it's also, like, El Sol is from the first episode with the Mm gin. So I thought that was a really cool thing to just, like, tie back in in there. I couldn't quite tell what beer they were actually drinking because their hands were covering the labels. Like, they just couldn't quite pass it. But that definitely is the El Sol sign in the. So, at the very least, that
1: bar that they're drinking at does in fact sell El Sol beer. Yeah.
0: Mm Well, Dean is like essentially lying to his face. Speaking very loosely about Cass, Mm -hmm. Cass isn't answering.
1: No. I do love the fact, though, that Dean's two options for who could have possibly raised Sam from the dead are God or Cass. I know. Which leads me to my (laughs) first unhinged prediction of the series they're the same person.
0: Oh, you think Cass is God? Cass is God now. Yeah. Didn't Dean ask Cass if he was God literally last episode, and he said no? <laughs> like an irresponsible
1: father, God was lying.
0: Oh, okay, okay. Wait, so explain to me your theory. <laughs> so, because we saw Chuck dissipate, and obviously yep. you know Chuck is Chuck God. is God. So you yep. think that Chuck is what possessing Cass right now? Like, is that the, the thought process? I don't know how
1: it works. I just want to be like, okay, well, let's you make want it something works.
0: silly to say. Yeah, okay. <laughs>
1: Let's make him both because uh, yeah, his two options are like oh, Castle God.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: like who who has raised people previously from hell? Castle God, only two. Which like I feel like we kind of glossed over that.
0: We've glossed over basically everything so far. <laughs> I think this episode is really funny because a lot of insane shit happens and it feels like none of it actually gets appropriately addressed. No. Like literally, Dean like wakes up and Sam's like, hey. <laughs> That's like it. And then he's like, oh yeah, you were drugged, so like whatever crazy crap you think you've been seeing was like bullshit. And I'm like, Sam, he's currently looking at his supposedly dead and imprisoned brother. Like, and then Dean, obviously, makes the point of being like, okay, but are you real? And it's like, how would you know? How would he prove it to you? And Sam's like, I'll cut myself and drink a bunch of holy water, and that'll prove to you that I'm real. But I'm like, a hallucination could do that too, babe. Like, that's (laughs) A hallucination just it's threw him great. across a room.
1: That rules out <laughs> possessed
0: by a demon. But it only rules But nothing out. else! It literally only rules out that his hallucination is yeah. possessed
1: by it, a demon. It doesn't rule out the possibility that he's a hallucination or
0: literally any other thing. Yeah, it's like, okay, he's not a shifter. Yeah. But again, it's like, Dean's hallucination of Sam is not a shifter. It's just, it's just silly. But we have also done the same thing, which is like, oh yeah, there's a year time skip. Anyway, moving on. Like, oh yeah... Dean and Lisa and Ben. Anyway, moving on. Oh yeah, Cassie's missing. Oh yeah, moving on. Sam's back. Okay, moving on. Like it's so much happens. Mm. We haven't even touched on the fact that Samuel's back. Like we mentioned him and then we move the fuck on. And I I just love to imagine Sarah Gamble walking into the fucking writer's room to pitch season six and she's got all these people sitting around waiting for her great idea. And she's like, okay guys, hear me out. What if, instead of resurrecting one Sam, we resurrect? two sams I'm like that's a bitch
1: <laughs> it's like they ordered it's like they ordered it online but they instead of you know how sometimes like you add something to your cart twice by accident so yeah. you accidentally ordered two of something instead of one of something
0: and they accidentally got did two. both and yeah. it's so funny because the only way they differentiate between each other throughout the, the whole time that samuel like is interacting with them is it's like sam and samuel and it's like sam with hair samuel with no hair and that's like the distinction that we get And this is how Samuel
1: Campbell comes back from the dead and becomes an evil CEO in leverage. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yes, but I couldn't tell you that before.
1: (laughs) It's just a wild time.
0: Do you have any thoughts? Like, obviously, the point is that it's kind of all shrouded in mystery Mm. right now, so I'm not expecting you to have any massive theories or anything. But when it comes to both Sam and Samuel being back, they kind of posit in the episode that, like, they're assuming they were brought back by the same thing. Yeah. Or at least for the same same purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you have any thoughts on how and or why both because obviously like we know that we knew they were going to bring sam back regardless of how they've done it or what they're going to do with it sam was going to come back but samuel feels like at least to me when i first saw this episode felt fully out of left field so i'm interested to see how you're feeling about it i feel
1: like if it had been like someone like mary would have made sense john yeah would have made sense Mm -hmm. but they don't know samuel like they met him twice when they traveled back to the past like yeah that's the thing samuel
0: kind of knows dean a bit. And by the time he knew who Dean was, he was fucking possessed. Yeah. So it's like how much does he actually remember? We don't know. Because also,
1: like, if it was some sort of angelic being who pulled him up from below,
0: well
2: or Samuel dragged him was, down. Yeah. So from Samuel above, was
0: up, Sam was down. So do you have like any thoughts at all like surrounding like do you think that they've been brought back for like malicious reasons or like genuine reasons or like
1: you've got to assume something sinisters at play here. Okay. Obviously, we don't know how Sam's back, but, like, the fact that Sam's not in the cage tells me that Lucy's not in the cage either. Okay. Like, I just don't... Like, I don't feel like you can have one in the cage without the other, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. as much as the cage is the cage, Sam is also kind of the cage. You know what I mean? Okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, because Lucifer... The point was that he trapped Lucifer within himself so that he could then trap them both within the cage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Before we move on from Samuel and you feeling like maybe there's something sinister going on there, at the end of the episode... Instead of killing the gym, they put a bag over her head, tie her hands up, and say, I'm not going to kill you, and then they shuffle her on out of there.
1: I'm going to assume this is for some sort of sinister, like, experimental purposes. Okay. Like, I think they're running inhumane drug trials. Like, Ooh,
0: okay. Maybe not drug trials, but, like, you know, <laughs> they're,
1: they're doing it for a reason. Like, I feel like back in the day when we originally talked about, I think it was actually, like, the trickster, and we were like, well, how do they have this one really insanely specific... Wait, and you said there's, like, historically people have
0: experimented,
1: essentially, yeah. to work it out. So, so i how we know
0: how people, like, how yeah. monsters can die is from trial and error. From trial and error. So I'm assuming this is just, like, a corporate version of trial and error. So you think this is another, like, demon science situation? Yeah. <laughs> okay. But done by humans. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. How
1: do you feel about
0: the other Campbells? We obviously haven't got much from them.
1: I feel like we've got nothing from them. Like, they're just kind of there. Yeah, I don't... And so, okay, so was the idea meant to be that these are, like, Mary's cousins that are just, like, alive and kicking around the place? Yes.
0: Yeah, I also don't think it's that compelling. To be perfectly honest, I don't think it's, like, much of a spoiler to tell you. Like, we don't see these characters beyond this season. Like, they didn't really pick up they any They didn't traction. make an impact. No, they're mm-hmm. very, um... I always found them very two-dimensional. Like, they all seem like they're playing this, like, gritty stereotype and Mm -hmm. i just don't think that it works with what supernatural has become because like regardless of what you want to say about supernatural you can't deny that it has many fucking layers to it and nothing is like no character is as simple as it's as they seem but with the campbells it kind of feels like they're literally just fucking Mm -hmm.
2: two-dimensional
1: and it may even just be like they've only just been introduced but like I don't know. There just seems to be, like, a hollowness there. Like, they just seem to be, like, oh, well, we needed a character who was like
0: this, and we needed a character who was like that, like... I think it's also, like, they needed somewhere for Sam to have been for a year, mm-hmm. and considering, like, we mentioned earlier, Sam's opinion on family, and how, like, you know, oh, we're blood-related, therefore we are mm-hmm. family, it makes sense that if he found out that he had blood family outside of Dean, he would go to them. Yeah. So if he found Samuel...
1: which Fucking Bobby was right there, dude. Bobby was right there and you're really going to hunt with your grandfather who was kind of a dickhead? Though, to be fair, he he hadn't met Samuel Campbell before. No. So he doesn't know the same way that Dean
0: knows that he's kind of a dickhead. Well, I mean, I assume Dean probably at some point told Bobby. Yeah. Like, it seems like the kind of thing that he would probably elaborate on at a certain point. But, no, I think it's definitely interesting. What is fascinating, though, is that when Samuel has his moment where he walks into the screen and you're like, oh, my God, that guy's back. It's Dean's theme that's playing and it's like quite significant, like it's very loud and it Mm -hmm. plays for a significant period of time. It basically plays from the moment that he is revealed until everyone else walks out of the room and it leaves Sam, Samuel and Dean alone. Like it plays for like a solid, probably almost a minute, Mm -hmm. which is quite a significant period of time to have like that type
1: of musical cue playing. I did not recognise it. Like, I've done it once and that has fulfilled my quota for the entire show. I don't... I shan't be doing it again.
0: I don't understand how you cannot not... Like, it's so funny because to me it is so fucking obvious. And I'm like, I don't know how you miss it. If you've heard it once, that should be it. You should hear it every time. I don't understand. How do you feel about the fact that Bobby knew that Sam was back and neither of them told him? I... That feels really severely out of
1: character for Bobby. After seeing what happened when Dean was dead and then come back from the dead Mm -hmm. and the way Sam had reacted, it seems odd to me that Bobby's going to be like, "Mm, yeah, no, this situation that's very similar to that other one that could have gone very badly because Sam was making bad choices away. Like, it's like they're like, oh, well, he's in a stereotypical family, therefore he's making good decisions, therefore it's
0: fine. Mm -hmm. It's like, "Mm, well, I don't think that's how it works, babes. And that kind of comes back to what we were talking about before with like Dean's monologue saying like, who was it good for? Like, it -hmm. it wasn't good for them. But We also have Bobby adding the context with him saying, like, you'd walked away from the life and I was so damn grateful, a woman and a kid and not getting your guts ripped out at age 30. Bobby wanted Dean to be safe and to be happy. And I think that he just hoped that he was, because clearly they also haven't really interacted in this year since the apocalypse went down because, or rather, didn't go down. Because this is literally the first time Bobby has met Ben and Lisa. And that is fucking criminal to me. How the fuck have they not met? Like, Ben, meet your grandfather. Yeah, literally. Or, like, Lisa. Like,
2: Bobby
1: Mm. is essentially Dean's dad. As if she hasn't met her father-in-law. Like, that is ridiculous. And it's not like they're on bad terms. Mm. To be, this is also tying into a a huge problem that I had with the finale, Mm. which is, like, that implied, like, oh, well, it's all over now, so Dean's not going to go and visit Bobby. It's like, Yeah. Like, I get that they're like, that Dean's trying to get like out of the life, but also like
0: they keep sort of implying that, you know, you were out and that's a good thing and you were happy, but like they didn't see Dean Mm -hmm. and he wasn't happy and he was playing pretend essentially. And oh my God, I have a point on this. Mm -hmm. So when at the very end of the episode, Dean is watching Sam like leave, like Sam's reversing out the driveway, they pan down in such a way that you can see the garden. And the garden is literally full of lavender. Mm. Like, it's literally like a lavender marriage. And I was like, oh, my God. Also, he's the only one who brings up Cass this episode. Moving on. (laughs) Brackets. Also, Cass is gay. (laughs) Rainbow emoji. Thank you, Misha, for your service. But, yeah, like, it's the lavender garden outside of Dean and Mm. Lisa's house. And, oh, my God, I have the funniest fucking thing to tell you. So, during all of this, like, Picket white fence, 2.5 kids, and blah, blah, blah. Like, heteronormative nuclear family scenario that Dean's in. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The moment when Lisa is, like, comes to check on him in the garage and he's, like, fully hallucinating and, like, freaking out and he, like, goes to do something so that he looks like he's totally normal and fine and he's like, oh, I'm just looking for my hammer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know what that specific style of hammer is called? It's a ball-peen hammer. And that is so Fucking funny to me. I love that you think tradie Jamie didn't know that. Well, I don't know, Jamie. You had not made a joke about it yet. So for all I knew, you were completely clueless. But no, it's a very fun, like, stupid meta thing where it's like, ah, yes, the heteronormative man tries to act normal by grasping the ball peen hammer. Like, it's just... I recognise that this is not, like, you know, serious metatextual analysis. It's just a bit silly, but I do think it's fun
1: serious metatextual analysis on our podcast
0: more likely likely than you think (laughs) (laughs) two different directions one thing that i do think is interesting in a metatextual Mm -hmm. analysis type of way though is we get a lot of shots this episode of dean moving through flimsy or sheer material like Mm -hmm. when he's first investigating the hotel that's under construction there's obviously all of the very Mm dexter-esque plastic sheets like drop sheets and that for the painting and yeah exactly. actually and, and he's like moving through them and you can kind of see through like the mm-hmm. thin veneer i suppose and then later when he's hunting the fucking dog <laughs> with, you know the possum mm-hmm. and rabies he is walking through all the bed sheets and stuff and there's like the gash through them but like even just moving through the sheets themselves like i just thought it was really interesting in terms of like a facade mm-hmm. and like the flimsy material and you can kind of see through it but it's like vaguely covering like I think that that is really interesting in terms of looking at Dean acting like he's okay and it's fine and you know that nothing is is eating him alive at night kind of thing but I think there's also an interesting queer interpretation there Mm -hmm. like there's just a whole lot of symbolism that I think could be extrapolated from that particular set dressing choice Mm. this episode didn't feel that deep and I don't know if that's
1: just because I was like I had a night like, last night and I watched it this morning and I don't know if my brain was fully turned on for it. But it just, like, obviously I'm not the uh, the deep meta-analysis person on this podcast. I'm the comes-up-with-crazy-theories-that-are-sometimes-true-person on this podcast. So it's kind of hard to, like, really read into an episode like this where it's like, you know, how, like, I'm trying to think, like, how does this relate back to the Sarah Gamble long-con? And, I mean, the first most obvious sign is Cass isn't there. <laughs> so that ties in really, really quickly, nicely. <laughs> but it's trying to work out, like, where does she want to go with it now? Yeah. Because, like, I've spent so long asking myself, where does Kripke want to go? Yeah. What does Kripke want to do? What narrative threads? What is interesting to him? What is he pushing forward with? mm mm-hmm. Like, it's something that I'm probably going to need to look out for. Sarah Gamble seems to have this real fixation on, like, what does family mean and what does family do? And it seems like she has a more found family-esque, version of family in mind than Kripke does because it's kind of like Kripke was like oh no the perfect ending for Dean is this white picket fence where he no longer hunts and he doesn't see Bobby but you know he's got the wife and child so it's fine. Sarah Gamble was like oh no we gave Dean that and he was fucking miserable the entire time Mm. so it's kind of like it's a matter of looking and sort of pivoting my thought process because yeah I've spent so long thinking okay well what does Kripke want? To, what does Kripke want to see? What is Kripke planning on doing?
2: Mm-hmm. That
1: it's now like, oh no, I've got to pivot to like, what does Sarah Gamble want? What does she want to do? What does she want to see? What is What's her, her plan? vision?
0: What's her vision? What is going to be really interesting? And one of the things that I love about season six is that it is the kind of season where, by the time you get to the end of it, you go back and watch the earlier episodes, and you're like, oh shit, oh shit, I missed that. It's it's that kind of season, and so. It's going to be interesting getting your first take on it. Yeah, because it's definitely the kind of thing where, like, after you've watched it once, you can't really re-experience season six again in like the same way. Because like, there was stuff in this episode where I was like, "Oh, okay, I see them starting to to lay this narrative thread. I can see like how they're already pivoting this character. Like, I can see, you know, how they're they're... putting
1: in the groundwork now.
0: Yeah, like she really, she really was like right." We're gonna get on this straight away, like which we're is gonna lay the foundation. Polar opposite
1: to what kripke normally does, yeah. which is way less a off, slow burn. Put off the like thing that you need until the second or last episode, and then go, oh fuck, I needed to finish that shit. Yeah, it seems like she has a less like you know family's blood sort of stance, which is interesting in an episode where they
0: do bring in Campbells and like literally blood family of the Winchester brothers. It is really interesting that you say that. Like you said that you think that maybe there's something sort of sinister going on with with Samuel.
2: And so
1: it's very clear you're meant to regard the Campbells and Samuel Campbell as suspicious. This episode makes it abundantly clear that you should be wary of them. Mm. And whether they have very specifically malicious intention or not. I feel like there was a reason why we hadn't heard of them for the last five seasons. And I think part of that is just... They, they didn't exist. They now. didn't exist yet. <laughs> But I also think the other part of that, if you're looking at it from like an actual text point of view, is there was a reason why Mary never mentioned having extended family. Because yeah. Mary would have known about them. Like So either Mary knew and very specifically didn't tell anybody that she had this extended family. Mm-hmm.
0: For a reason, theoretically. For a
1: reason, theoretically. Or Mary didn't know, which means that then Samuel and Deanna didn't tell Mary she had extended family for a very specific reason. Theoretically. Theoretically. So it's like, it it feels like a more skeptical take on that sort of premise that we've had a couple of times now where it's like, oh, but you're a family so you should immediately like trust and love each other. Like Mm -hmm. more of like a cautionary tale of like blind trust isn't necessarily the best way to go. Okay.
0: How are you feeling just generally about Sam? Because Sam has clearly gone with his traditional Sam way of yeah. being like, well they're related to me by blood, so I will blindly trust them.
1: <laughs> Which ties back into that whole thing of it feels like Dean is wary of the rest of the family. And we've talked before And we've about talked about, about how Dean is always fucking right about this stuff. The narrative rewards him. He literally calls it a spidey sense this week.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like I'm sorry, is Dean implying that he is possessed by one of the actors who played Spider Man? And do we think he could do a
1: backflip? Absolutely <laughs>
0: Sorry, Karen. I
1: think he is very much capable of doing a backflip if he is possessed by one of the actors who played Spider-Man.
2: Yeah. Clearly. Um,
1: (laughs) So I think it's interesting, though, that they are kind of framing it that way. And, like, Dean doesn't necessarily really trust them. Like, he kind of trusts them, but only because Sam trusts them.
0: And how do we feel about trusting Sam? Because you reckon that if Sam's out, Lucifer's out. Yeah. So this is the other thing. Like, do you think Sam's judgment is clouded?
1: Okay. So I want to rephrase your question for a minute. Okay. So you said, do we think Sam's judgment is clouded? I would like to rephrase that too. Do we think Sam's judgment has ever been not clouded? Okay. <laughs> At any point in the first five seasons.
0: Do we think Sam has ever seen clearly? Yes. Okay.
1: So I feel like, here's the thing, regardless of whether, like, whether Lucifer's out, whether Lucifer's not out, whether, like... I feel like the only way Sam's perception is not clouded is if he's actually secretly still possessed by Lucifer currently. <laughs>
0: like, I <laughs> think Lucifer can see clearly. <laughs> I think Lucifer can
1: see clearly, but I just don't have the same faith in Sam. Okay. And, like, I want to say that makes Sam an interesting character, but he is a character who I would describe 90% of the time as deluded. Like, yes. And I don't mean that in a shady way. I just mean, like, very literally, like, Sam likes to see the world the way he wants to see it, and he's very... Hesitant to change his opinion based on new evidence.
0: Okay, so I do have another question. Actually, I've got a couple of questions about Sam. Yeah, so I'm gonna go through them because obviously, like Sam's in resurrection is kind of the like mm-hmm. mystery that we have. Well, actually, we've we've got a couple. So we've got like why the fuck did they just kidnap the gin,
2: mm-hmm. and also
0: how the fuck is Sam and Samuel back? Right, they're like our main things, and I suppose that's tangentially like where the fuck is Cast. So. I want to know how you're feeling about the fact that Sam remembers and admits to remembering the cage, but just doesn't want to talk about it. Talk about it.
1: But what gets me about that is they've that now established that he's been back for like a year. So how long did he even fucking spend there? Like, I would argue that Dean has spent more time in hell now than Sam
0: has. Oh, I think easily. Dean was dead for a solid four months. Yeah. So
2: Sam like, was even... dead
0: for like maybe twelve hours, judging from like how time seems to move in the finale.
1: Even considering, like, maybe the time moves differently in the cage Mm -hmm. than it does in regular hell, like, I just don't think, like, the time difference would have to be insane for Sam to have now spent more time in hell than
0: Dean did. I personally don't think Sam has spent nearly as much time, however, Sam was trapped in the cage with Michael and Lucifer, and, like, Dean was trapped with Alistair, don't get me wrong, Mm -hmm. but... I don't think that we can just write off Sam's hell trauma, like, as irrelevant. But it's the
1: get-along cage. How can everything happen? <laughs>
0: <pad laughs> and I'll show
1: you for you something. He's also trapped in there with Adam.
0: Oh, of course. How Sam, very everyone
1: forgets sh- about Adam. <laughs> You're really embracing the show's uh, mentality of Adam doesn't exist.
0: Yeah, look. <laughs> but, yeah, so how are we feeling about Sam? Because, like, Dean came back from hell and he was like, I don't remember shit lying like a liar Mm -hmm. and Sam's like you know I remember it I just I'm not going to talk
2: about it
1: I feel like this also comes from the fact that eventually Dean did own up to remembering hell and was like I'm not fucking going to talk about this now so it's like Sam's just started that at that point like he's like Dean's already pulled this shit on me so I'm safe to pull
0: it on him and I suppose Sam's already had a year to come to terms with that Mm -hmm. decision as well yeah the other thing of note from Sam this week is He rejects the offer of baby. Like Dean says to him, she should be with you out hunting. And he tries to give Sam the keys, and Sam's like, "Mm, I've already got my car set up how I like it, actually. But like, thanks anyway.
1: This is giving me big John Winchester in Dead Man's Blood. Mm, I've got my own machete vibes. Yeah. Like yeah. Same energy. Same
0: energy. You're so right. So fucking funny funny,
1: considering this episode is like, mm, what if Dean's worst nightmare is turning into John? It's like, baby boy, don't you worry, your son's already there.
0: It skips a generation. (laughs) Okay, but, like, genuinely, though, like, the fact that Sam would turn down baby seems bizarre to me.
1: Doesn't it? Because it seems perfectly in character for me. So do you have a reason why it feels bizarre to you? Because
0: it's so clearly Dean trying to, like, connect with him and have, like, a vulnerable moment. And Mm. Sam is usually so about, like, yeah, Dean, talk about your feelings. Like, he's desperately trying to get Dean to admit. That's okay. He's
1: he's definitely like, yeah, Dean, talk about your feelings. But the issue is he never actually notices when Dean is actually talking about his feelings.
0: That's true. It just feels like such a... It feels like such a significant rebuff. You Mm. know, it's like, "Mm, I don't want your shitty little car. And I feel like Sam would normally be at least a little bit like, I don't know. Like, the thing is that Baby means something significant to both of them. Like, Dean has an unhealthy fucking relationship with that car, but it's not like Sam doesn't love it.
1: But, and it's also kind of like, well, looking at Baby was the thing that snapped him out of being possessed by Lucifer. Yeah, exactly. It it definitely holds some sentimentality to him.
0: Exactly. It seems odd to me that Sam would so casually be like, I'm good. Uh,
1: Yeah, I can see that. But I can also see it as sort of like, that's what Sam's way of being like, you care about baby more than i do yeah like as much as baby's significant to me like baby's more significant to you
2: Mm -hmm. like you know what i mean
1: like that's his way of being like you know just because you're no longer in the life just because you're no longer hunting
0: you're still a part of this family you still get the car it's all about how you frame it i also might want to just touch on the fact that samuel specifically says that dean reminds him of mary which i put in brackets i'm shocking well Um. we've been thinking about how dean is mary
1: coded this entire this entire goddamn time approximately no one was surprised. Not a groundbreaking reveal. Like, he's literally named after his grandmother. Like, yeah. we knew. Oh, I just want to talk to Lisa for a second. Here. Oh, okay. She describes the year with Dean as the best year of her life. But, like, you were good before Dean. Like, like I have issues with this episode. I do. Yeah. And my main issue with this episode is the fact that they really frame it as if Lisa was somehow
0: doing bad before Dean showed up yeah
1: like Lisa had her house she had her life together she was that bitch like she was doing the most. she had a son who was absolutely adorable and she fucking loves and like is she had her life together she was complete
0: without needing a romantic partner yeah and then
1: they've just tried to come back through and frame it as like oh no net like that was the best year of her life with this one random dude
0: well I guess it's like you know she doesn't need a romantic partner but she likes to have one you know like that's a distinction you could make But I think what is interesting is that Dean says, like, you know, I'm saying sorry for everything. And she's like, immediately, you're an idiot. Like, no fucking pause for thought. She's like, you're a fucking idiot. She points out, you know, a guy who basically just saved the world shows up on your door. You expect him to have a couple issues. And I was like, Lisa really gunning for Sam's top spot on understatement of the century. (laughs) And, you know, she goes on to say you're always so great with Ben. You know what I wanted more than anything was a guy that Ben could look up to like a dad. And you know, then she goes on. So you're saying it's all been bad Dean because it was the best year of my life. I, that actually always kind of gets me specifically the bit about Ben. Cause it's like you said at the start of the episode, like he's raising Ben the same way he raised Sam. Mm-hmm. And that really is Dean just being a dad. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to be clear here. Like,
1: I have no issue with that speech until she says that was the best year of my life and I'm like bitch was it though. <laughs> like I get like being like oh well no actually like I was really happy like you know this actually like you fit into my life so well like Ben adores you you're so good with him cuz like let's face it Dana's good with kids. Mhm. Consistent character trait has not changed in the 5 seasons since the pilot. Like yeah. Dana's good with kids. He's been a father for the last 20 odd years since he was about 4 years old roughly. Yeah. Maybe a little bit younger, but you know. Debatable. When was Sam born again? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like, it's just sort of that thing of like, are you really trying to frame it as like this woman was incomplete without a father figure for her son?
0: Well, like I said, it depends on how you look at the framing because just because it's something she doesn't need doesn't necessarily mean it's something she doesn't want. I don't need to eat a donut to sustain my life, but do I want to eat a donut? Yes, because it's delicious and I want it. You know? I don't know, some donuts are pretty bad. Well, I'm talking about a delicious donut, Jamie. Like, I'm not a big donut fan. Like, <laughs> okay, well, what <laughs> whatever food of choice or, like, you know, did we have to get Taylor Swift tickets? Would we have died without them? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well.
1: <laughs> because let's face it, you would have cut off your left arm for Taylor Swift tickets and then you probably would have bled Blun out. out,
0: yeah. Tis from scratch. <laughs> 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 My point being, no, she doesn't need a romantic partner to fulfill her in terms of, like, you know, she will be fine. But, you know, it's not about something you need. It's just about something you want. But I personally really find it quite hard to watch when they go back to the house once Ben and Lisa have been safely deposited at Bobby's. And all of the hunters are just like going through the photos and the fridge and the cupboards and they find like the golf set and Dean Mm -hmm. gets made fun of about the magazine and shit. Like, it fucking sucks. He's had to invite these full-on strangers and Sam, who he hasn't seen in but a year. But their family. Well, this is the thing. Sam, who he hasn't seen in a year and who has been sort of lying by omission for a full year, let him grieve for a full year. And then, like, they're coming into his house and they're making fun of his life that he built mm-hmm. from the ground up because he was so overcome with grief.
1: And that he only did because his brother specifically requested... It was
0: like Sam's dying wish. So the fact that they walk into his home and they're like immediately belittling it, mm-hmm. and I'm like, fuck, man. like they literally walked into his house and made fun of him for it, and he to the point where he says to Samuel, like, you know, go on then, call me a soccer mum, like, you know, yeah, emasculate me, basically,
2: and it's like micro aggress me,
0: yeah, and it's like that's so. I think it really highlights the sort of toxic nature of the hunting community, mm-hmm. like. This concept of masculinity and what it means to be like a hunter means you have to fit into this sort of very clean cut box mm-hmm. of what a hunter is and what they prioritize and how they live and there is no room a box you for say a closet even a char <laughs> you know but there is no there's no wriggle room. I do love Dean being petty though. I love when he looks at that fucking guy and goes, "See, it's almost like I'm a professional." I'm like, "Yeah, baby, you tell him." Oh, one thing that I did really like, actually, about this episode is the djinn have very, like, they've got the tattoos, which they've always had, Mm -hmm. but there's this very fun effect where, like, the tattoos materialize Mm -hmm. on their arms, and I thought it looked actually really good, considering Mm -hmm. it's a special effect, not practical. Yeah.
1: I definitely think, though, that from, like, this episode, this season, like, the overarching plotline is going to be, like, the monsters are changing you know that's like certainly why why are the monsters changing like what has shifted fundamentally since the apocalypse kind of didn't really happen what has changed that now like you know Jin who previously couldn't go yeah who
0: yeah exactly
1: are now able to sort of get away with being within you know society and sort of appearing like that so i definitely think that's where they're going with it and i think maybe like the shake-up in terms of heaven's structure has something to do with it you know we've got Casper back there now, who is God? yeah, I'm bringing that back, but you know, like I think it's definitely gonna tie into that sort of element of it and like the fact that like the fundamental structure of the world has changed because the apocalypse did not happen
0: as planned planned okay, interesting. so you think this is sort of like a ripple effect situation of essentially kind of like oh this was a canon event, but it got subverted, so now there are yeah. consequences for that yeah, yeah, okay, got you
1: oh, I do just want to say. Dean is not a cheater. This episode says that after school special can get fucked.
0: Yes, I did think that actually. Like, (laughs) he's loyal if nothing else. One other thing that I really liked about Dean in this episode is he specifically says, I did this to them. I made them vulnerable. And I was like, man, we love a self-aware king. I I know that there is an argument that like, when it comes to John, we talk about how John didn't give Sam and Dean enough information while also somehow simultaneously giving them too much. Like he really mm -hmm. needed to pick one end of that spectrum and and go all in you even tell them
1: everything or you tell them nothing
0: yeah but he sort of chose to float around in the middle and i think you could argue that dean is kind of falling into the same camp in this instance Mm -hmm. where he's like well i can't leave them because it's too dangerous but also my presence was what brought them danger in the first place and he's kind of created this impossible situation where Either he goes and he, they're in danger, or he stays and they're, in, they're danger. in danger. And it's really because he needed to pick one or the other and he couldn't. Like, he's been living with one foot out the door for this last year.
1: I think it's interesting seeing that this is what Sarah chose to do to set up her era. You know, because, like, the other thing is, like, this is not only the first episode where she's shown on it, she also wrote this episode, mm-hmm. which means that she had basically complete control, like, negative, the, like, producers and shit of the show Mm -hmm. she basically had complete control over like what was going to happen she's designed both the overarching plot and also everything about this episode she was doing what she wanted and what she wanted was for cast to not be there (laughs) i do think it's going to be interesting to see sort of what they do with samuel moving forward though Mm. because it's the sort of thing where it's like it feels like an odd choice for them to be like oh yeah no samuel Campbell. like i I understand that there's sort of, like, a level of, like, oh, they have to have some mystery there, but, like, it feels like maybe they're bringing back Samuel Campbell, not so much for him, but because he's, like, maybe a part of something that's bigger. Okay. If that makes sense. Like, it's not about him. It's about, like, oh, there's a big secret shadowy organization or some shit like that that he was a member of. So they need him back.
2: Mm,
0: Okay.
1: So that they have that tied to the big shadowy organization that they want to...
0: So it's not, it's more necessarily about like what he was doing before he died, way back when?
1: It's, it's more about like what he knows and who he knows. Okay. Rather than actually him as like, you know, like it's, they're not like pulling him back to be a vessel or something like that. Mm, like they're not, not like, mm, well, he's compatible with this specific angel who needs a vessel so we're pulling him out of the day. Also, he says that he was pulled from heaven. Mm-hmm. He says that. We have no canon confirmation that that is
0: true nothing that we're shown in the episode we have him in like the flashback episode nothing says that he wouldn't
1: be there yeah
0: other than the fact that he was kind of a dick but
1: he's shady as hell okay which makes me think that he's not telling them everything and like we know that he's not telling them everything obviously because they have the final scene where they like drag the gin away but like it just feels like he's not telling them something more significant than that you know what i mean like it just feels like Something's going on. Yeah, maybe he knows more than he's letting on. Okay. Oh, I just want to say real quick, just as for Bobby, this is the worst possible way to meet your grandkid. Like, that is so <laughs> rude. Like, they're like, no, you're not going to meet your grandchild until the grandchild is in mortal danger. Like, yeah.
0: This is the thing, like, I do not understand. Like, it's been a year, which means both Dean and Bobby have had a birthday. Mm-hmm. You're telling me that they couldn't have gone around for dinner. Like, come on, bro. It's not like you, you know, you subverted the apocalypse and you threw yeah. away your phone, like...
1: Oh, I do just want to say I love the fact that they make the finale recap black and white to make it look more <laughs> dramatic than it was. Because, like, low-key, it, like, like it looks more like a finale in black and white <laughs> than it did in colour. Something about the way they did, like, the, the montage drama. and the drama, like, they very specifically picked the bits that make it look like it was more of a finale than it actually was. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that brings us to the end of today's episode. So, Jamie, how would you rate Exile on Main Street? Out of five. See, this is where I'm debating. I'm like, do I give it
1: two and a half, or do I give it three stars? It's definitely not worth a three point five. But like, most of the time when I'm like, oh, I'm giving it like two and a half stars, it's because like I can see so easily how this could have been a really good fucking episode, and you fucked it up. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like. I don't, I don't so much get that. Like, I don't know where else you could have gone with this to make it a better episode. You know what I mean? Like Like, I said, she's stuck between a rock and a hard
0: place. Like, and that's mm, just kind of it. The nature of it. Like. Yeah. Kripke's gone and she's been left at the helm of this. Sinking ship. Sinking ship. He's got no money. (laughs) And she's got to do something with it. And I honestly think that like, is this the best episode of Supernatural ever? Definitely not. But, but does
1: it at least establish what's going to be happening in the upcoming season? Exactly. Does it start up some plot threads?
0: I think that it does what it needed to do mm-hmm. in terms of, like, it opens the story back up and it establishes what has happened since we left off without giving away what the actual plot of the season is. And, like, I think that's all it had to do, really. Is it the most engaging or entertaining episode? No. But it's, you know, it does what it had to. And, like I said, and hard place.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to give it, I, mean, I think I'll give it a three stars. I think I'll be nice then. I think I'll give it a three stars. Is it objectively a good episode of Supernatural? Natural? Not really. But does it do everything that it did need to do? Yes, it did. And I don't think we can ask it to do more than that.
0: Not given where season five left off? No. The next episode is titled Two and a Half Men. Do you have any thoughts, feelings, hopes, dreams, fears, predictions? So,
1: unfortunately, my parents did watch the sitcom Two and a Half Men when ah, I was young. Yes. So that's literally all I can think. And that was about two brothers living with a kid. So I don't know. Maybe something happens to Lisa, and Lisa's not there very briefly. So it's sort of like you know, two and a half minutes. Sam, Dean, and Ben. Unless there's like a sentient half-human, like, like, like a I'm, centaur. No, I'm thinking a mermaid. No, I'm thinking like um the trampoline in Doctor oh, Who. Oh,
0: very. But it's just different. <laughs> but it's just
1: like it's just like the top half of a dude not the bottom half no the top half specifically i feel like you can get more out of the top half than the bottom half depends on what you're looking
0: for okay and do we think that Cass is going to be in next week's episode
1: god damn i hope so but also based on my sarah gamble long con i don't
0: think so okay do we think crowley might be in next week's episode
1: oh i would love to see that dude again or always down
0: for some crowley content you know here's the thing I know that whenever I ask you these questions, I know the answer is I hope so for both Cass and Crowley, but it's not really what I'm asking.
1: That's not the point. You know, you should have made your request clear. And that
0: brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you so very much for listening. Hopefully you had just as much fun listening as we had recording. And hopefully we have you back next week for the second episode of season six, Two and a Half Men. If you wanted to get in touch with us, outside of listening to us ramble on in your ear for an hour or so every week, you can always find us on any of our social medias. All the links will be in the description down below, and possible topics for conversations could include
1: What do you think of this episode? I know that's kind of like the baseline question for like every episode, but i, I see how it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> but I can't really see how it could have been better. But I also know it wasn't good. So I'm like, how would you improve this episode?
0: I would be interested and in, this will have to go in the spoiler chats because obviously Jamie hasn't seen the rest of this season, but I would be interested for anyone who has seen season six in its entirety, going back and re-watching The Opener. How do you feel about it? I think it's a better episode in retrospect because you can see the foundations more clearly. So I'd be interested to hear what people think on Rewatch. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and hopefully we have you back
2: next week. Bye! Bye!